Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. I'm Nick Watson on Twitter and underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about diversity and representation in TV. And to do that, we have two very special guests that we are welcoming back in the podcast. Uh, do you guys want to say hello? Howdy. Hey, I'm Kelly D'Angelo. And I'm Frankie Butler. Woo. Let's kick it off with just uh, a general kind of question. How do you guys each feel that your background has influenced your relationship with TV, like with whether with the industry and with writing and uh, even consuming television? It's it's difficult. I mean, I'm 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 Native American. I'm Haudenosaunee, uh, Iroquois, and I have a couple other mixes in me. My grandmother spoke Cree, mm-hmm. and uh, she she was technically Blackfoot. So like those are two tribes that really shouldn't be getting along. But uh, I have a, I'm a mixed blood kid. Um, and I'm also mixed myself. I'm half Italian American and half Native American. So I kind of had a different, I don't know. I have, it's different with my personal minority status just because there's over 500 tribes in the United States of America and I'm a mix of a few of them and I didn't grow up on the res like a lot of my friends have out here because there's just so many people and everyone everyone's tribe is kind of at a different stage so my my personally i would say like my background it definitely influences me and my writing but in a totally different way than anybody else's does Mm -hmm. and my with my with me being indian so my my experience was more that like the way that i treated my grandmother on my mom's side she uh she was like the clan mother and she had moved off the res with my mother when she was really young and she kind of got her own farm and had uh 16 children and uh I, you know, I just, I come from a literal tribe unto itself and she kind of formulated the house after that. So my experience, though not on a res and not with as many traditional elements as I had wanted growing up was really formulated and shaped by, by the culture in mm-hmm. its own right. So that's mine. My background is not nearly as interesting as Kelly's. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I, I'm making it sound so much more interesting yeah. than it actually was. <laughs> but no, um, I grew up in Alabama in a town that's kind of an even mix of black and white and then like kind of five percent everybody else um and i grew up in a pretty white neighborhood went to like schools that were half and half um but like from high school on was in mostly white classes insert conversation about the racism of the american public education system here mm-hmm. um, second all this <laughs> yeah <laughs> um like did the ivy league thing which was also super duper white so mm. my experience with both watching media and then sort of being involved in my life has been a lot of kind of like being the token black kid and seeing the token black kid and kind of trying to find a way to make points while not isolating people because not well not because I necessarily care about their feelings, although sometimes I do care about people's feelings, but because when you're going to be, when you may be the only one somebody has a relationship with in their life, you kind of want to not completely push them to the other side. And that goes professionally as well. Like sometimes you're the only one in the room and you kind of need to be able to make a point in a way that does not lead people to completely dismiss you, even when you think they're completely full of shit. And what you want to say is like, why? Why are you doing the thing? I want to throttle you. Stop doing the thing. (laughs) But you can't say that because that's not professional. So you have to find a, well, I 
think maybe if we went <laughs> another way with this, because right now there's a construction where the audience could possibly interpret that what you mean to mm. say is, mm. and it's way more pussy footing than I would ever right. be in my personal life, but that's what you have to do at work, and it sucks. What are kind of the reasons why you went into writing? Is it a question of like representation? Is it a question of just creative freedom or? My choices were politics and writing, and writing allowed me to be a drunk mess in my 20s. <laughs> 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 and, and, and I do kind of mean that just I did like I didn't do anything crazy. I don't have like a I don't know, like secret drug career or anything. But entertainment kind of allows you to be your own person in a way that you don't necessarily have to play into respectability politics to the same extent that you do in other places and in other careers, mm -hmm. which was super interesting for me. And also, I remember being a kid and realizing the way that stories shaped people's interpretation of the world around them, being like maybe in middle school and realizing how much my interpretation of what middle school and high school were supposed to be like was shaped by the fact that I watched a lot of teen shows. And I had that moment of like, I can like change people's minds this way. Like, I don't have to be a speechwriter. I don't have to do all of that political stuff. I can right. do this and reach way more people in a way that they're going to enjoy. And also like playing make-believe for a living. Why the hell wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I, I would say I would echo a similar sentiment. I think storytelling is the most powerful tool. There's something it's a living, breathing entity. It's something that's constantly changing and evolving. And that's the reason why art exists. I got into writing mostly because I I have a lot of philosophy and a lot of thought and a lot of ideas about the way that I see the world and the perspective is just different. I tend to look at things from a different angle with different time periods. I've just, I've always looked forward and back. Like I just, I just see things differently. And so as a kid, I didn't know how to, how to channel that. So, you know, I, I grew up in a much more traditional family that was pressuring me. Hey, you're a smart kid, smart kid in the family. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> like we, you know, on my mom's side, none of them even went graduated high school. And then my father's side, they, uh, they did some traditional like uh, local universities. And so, um, they were like, Oh my gosh, a lawyer. Oh, you want to be a doctor, you know, mm -hmm. like a teacher, an engineer, like what? But I had always been pulled towards the power of storytelling and how I think I could have affected even more lives through that than saving actual lives on like a surgical bed. Yeah. So I followed my own feet. And that's kind of what has led me here as a writer. And also just because I'm really emotional and expressive and who doesn't love a good cry? <laughs> uh, are there any like specific shows that drew you into the television medium itself? I, I started stage and I still love it. Uh, musical theater was always my thing. There's a couple of things that got me into the field. Uh, besides the fact that I was a cartoon watching kid, I didn't grow up with cable. So I had like five channels and I would, um, if you fiddled with the antennas on the wires enough, <laughs> you could actually get crossfeed. And so like there was a couple years of my life when I was getting Disney and getting uh. Nick and stuff. And I was like, oh my God. And so I just consumed all of that. Um, and also had a lot of friends and other family who had cable. It's really jealous. Um, my mom did get cable for two years or three years in my life. So I got to watch a lot of Like a, a brand new world. Oh uh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I was glad that I was raised on animation and kind of like absurdist comedy, but that's, that's actually kind of like what I loved as a kid. Musicals, animation, the stuff I write now. Cinderella, Rogers and Hammerstein's Brandy's version of oh, Cinderella yes. changed my life. I broke the VHS three times because I watched it. <laughs> and you're not like, I, how often do you watch a VHS tape to the point that it actually burns? And then, the 
Patriot. The movie The Patriot. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Made me want to make films. <laughs> uh, I thought the writing was spectacular. It was kind of, I loved history growing up and I still love history and the power of n- knowledge with the past. And I was intrigued by how they told us a s- semi-true story, uh, but took you into a world and invested in characters and made you hate the villain and love the protagonist. There's yeah, this- it's fascinating how pop culture can present a view of history sometimes that isn't you know, obviously true to the facts, yeah. but will be in everyone's popular consciousness. And people think that's what really happened. Like it has always more impact than the re- the truth. <laughs> uh, like uh, Alexander uh, Hamilton. <laughs> and how about you, Frankie, in terms of shows that really influenced you growing up? Um, I was a huge sucker for all teen shows, like when the WB was kind of becoming the WB. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, the frog. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you could still judge my emotional state by like, if I'm, if I tell you I've just gone on a Dawson's Creek rewatch, <laughs> I'm going through some shit. Maybe, maybe you want to leave me alone for a little while. Um, I was a, you know, huge Buffy fan, a uh, huge Firefly fan. And then also we had cable, but we didn't have like the good cable. We didn't have, I didn't get the HBO and the Showtime. Disney was under the premium oh, package. Yeah. <laughs> Di- well, Disney was, under, Disney was under the premium package when I was growing up. So everybody was watching the Disney Channel shows and I was like, <laughs> I've got Nickelodeon. Do you guys want to talk about all that? Which also for anyone who's old enough to remember Roundhouse, which was the variety show Nickelodeon had before all that Roundhouse was my jam when I was a kid, um, but yeah. And then I also watched like The West Wing. Uh, loved loved me some Aaron Sorkin. I loved American Dreams as a kid. American like, Dreams so good, super good show. I need to watch it again to see if it holds up because uh-huh. I remember loving it so much. And I kind of have this thing with a lot of shows from the nineties where I feel like if I watched them again, I'd be like, that was mm-hmm. not as brilliant as I thought it was. <laughs> but I feel like American Dreams would probably hold up. Did either of you feel that you were represented on the screen and the stuff that you were watching growing up? Or? Hell no. 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 Um, well, there was, a, there was a brief shining period in the 90s of the African-American sitcom. Um, Living Single is still my jam. Mm-hmm. Um, but with other than that, no, there's always like one. And you yeah. are the one, the token. Yeah, it's the Angela in Boy Meets World. It's the... Yeah, it's the journey of Alan Strange in which he is. It's his show, but he's the one black kid <laughs> in a white family, and he's an alien. Like, come on. Wow. I can't think of one Native kid that I know of that was wrecked. I mean, one of the Power Rangers had Native yeah. history. That wasn't highlighted or mm-hmm. talked about. And also, he was whitewashed, you know? And also, they're all, like, comprised into generic Oh, yeah. I mean, most of the Indians that I loved when I was a kid were from 1600s and dead, a.k.a. Pocahontas. Yeah. Like, that's when I was a kid and saw Pocahontas. I was like, hey, mom, like, what's this all about? Like, <laughs> like what? We're still alive to some people? It was such a... It's ridiculous. It's I don't even know if it's necessarily getting better. I think it might be for us, but we're such a minority. We're such a minority, like to the point that it's kind of ridiculous. There is a point at which I feel like you kind of want to make your own media because as yeah. much as I talk about all these mainstream shows, um, my mom was huge into making sure I had like black literature and like black like folk tales and like all this black stuff. And um, I, my favorite movie when I was a little little kid was Meteor Man. If you have never seen this movie, I'm not saying you should it's not necessarily good <laughs> but it's basically it's a robert townsend movie in which a meteor comes from space hits him and he becomes a super like a black superhero in the city and like i think james earl jones is like his like mean old man oh next door God. neighbor like it's 
an excellent, excellent, like low budget, like black superhero movie. And I need Robert Townsend to come back from wherever he has been for the last like, decade and just like start producing more. This an 80s like movie? That. Late 80s, early 90s. So Robert Townsend did Hollywood Shuffle, which if you ever want just like 80s level black frustration with Hollywood <laughs> is an amazing movie. So because of that obvious lack of representation, do you feel either pressure from outside or from inside yourselves to make your work representative or like to make it explicitly about your backgrounds rather than just whatever you feel like writing? So I have a very strong viewpoint about this. I can't, I can't pretend like I can represent other tribes or other people. Like if you want to, if you want a Navajo story and you want a Navajo writer, you get that. I'm not here to represent the weight of all these people. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I can't do that. I can give references. I can support them. They're friends of mine, but people are so ill-informed about modern day natives that they expect sometimes me to have all the answers when I don't, I, I can't carry that weight. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mix. I'm a mixed kid who did not grow up. I think five people know my Tuscarora language, five, and they're all very old. Like, what, what am I supposed to offer to you besides my own personal perspective? So I, instead of like me carrying the weight of being like that token native writer, I just want to be a writer, the best damn writer I can be to the point that everyone's like, wow, you know, you have a unique perspective and voice. And then from the inside out, I can start bringing those people in and inserting those stories and hiring those people. But until then, I just, I just want to work as hard as I possibly can. Yeah. I don't have a, res- I don't, well, I do have a responsibility to write for black people because there are so few like of us like working, but mm-hmm. I also to a greater extent have a responsibility to bring other people into the narrative. My responsibility is not so much to tell the black story because I have, a, there are as many different ways to be black as there are black people in this country. Like I have, my version is very, very specific and I do kind of hate it when people are like, what's the black version of I'm like, I grew up in like a white neighborhood in Alabama. If you want like inner city Chicago, like boo, I am not the one. Um, <laughs> But I, my responsibility, I think, is to be as open to other voices as possible and to be like, okay, well, this feels weird. And this feels weird because my experience mm-hmm. has been this and I have heard this. So let's see if we can compile something that feels more natural. Yeah. It's more to like keep my eyes open and my ears open and kind of be a weather vane. And then to be like, well, we could also, instead of me just talking temporaneously out of my rear end, mm-hmm. we can pay attention to this person who has said things and has done things and bring that into the narrative. How do you express that without, uh, you know, getting fired for uh, <laughs> voicing your opinion? <laughs> it's reading the room and knowing how to phrase it. When I was an assistant, I had a rule of I'd bring something up twice and then shut up. And mm-hmm. also I liked being employed. <laughs> um, and right now it's just, it's still kind of like I bring it up until I get that feeling that I can't bring it up anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes. then I have to let it go because I bills got to get paid. Mm-hmm. And I have to be at work the next day. For me, it's, it's, again, I don't, unless you know me, you don't know I'm native. I don't like wear like the traditional garb that most of you probably expect me to wear. Um, uh, I'm, I'm there to speak up for when, when I can, when those sort of, and surprisingly more people actually make a lot of Indian jokes than they think they do. It's so ingrained into our culture, watching some episodes 
you you'll notice that one every five episodes will have a mm-hmm. discussion about Indians in some capacity, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. It's it's tough. I I think there's a little bit more mercy. I'm not gonna lie, because I think there is the fact that there's so few of us, unfortunately, and we've undergone so much in the past. I have a heavier responsibility for calling out things that I don't see with a little bit less kindness. But I think that my personality combines that well. Like I'm a very um oh, I see what you're doing, and I get excited about ideas, like, oh, I totally understand it. However, let's step away from that and try to attack it it, with a smarter mindset. That's kind of how I I approach things sensitively like that. It hasn't come up too often yet, but... Because I work in comedy, which is a little bit different. Um, so, yeah. And also, there's always the playing dumb about why yeah. a particular joke works or why a particular <laughs> thing is a good way to go is always just like, I'm sorry, I don't explain. Can mm. you explain that to me? Why is the black guy stealing things funny? I don't. Right. Yeah. yeah and it's like, oh, interesting. How about we do this a different way? Because yeah. that's well, a trope, you know, like just as soon as they have to start trying to justify it, they're going to realize how ridiculous yeah. it is. Yeah. Like that's the, yeah. I've also like got down the stair and the one eyebrow raise real well. Yeah. So people know, like, I'm just like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blank face. I, I have very excellent, like traditional angry black woman face. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, that's been useful to me. <laughs> What are your thoughts on other stories referring to either your uh, your background or your culture and the way they approach things? For example, I know the X-Files did a whole thing about Native Americans or uh, even the new Harry Potter movie with the new American houses. Yeah. How do you, do you guys feel about that? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to ignore J.K. Rowling's continuing fan fiction. Um, <laughs> not a thing that happens in my universe, so there's that. Well, I can't speak for X-Files because I haven't seen I know I've seen one episode of (laughs) X-Files. For people who never have had ownership or had the rights to their own voices, their own stories, their own culture, it's unfair. Anybody who's intelligent enough should recognize that. And instead of trying to dismiss it, embrace it fully or just step away. I think I, I, again, mixed feelings. I love Harry Potter. I love the world she created, but that was the foundation and the elements of that in the fantasy world were really rooted in white culture in Eastern European elements and fantasy worlds like that. When you're trying to play with our background and incorporate that in such a way, it's essentially you're doing the same sort of, um, cultural written artistic genocide that you, you your people did 500 years ago. That's a very heated sentence, <laughs> but you need to look at it that way. And I, again, I'm not carrying the weight of all this on my shoulders. I'm, I'm half, I'm a half C myself, but I'm a muggle. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, do you mind if I ask your thoughts on the uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt storyline involving native people? Yeah. Um, so this is kind of mixed in terms of how some natives feel about it and some don't. I can only speak again on my behalf. I thought that the season one storyline was actually really well done and really well crafted. Um, I thought it was more a commentary on, <laughs> on current day natives and kind of whitewashing and Jane Kakowski's character was just so the opposite of everything. And it was so refreshing just to see some really fan, uh, Sherilyn, the performers, people I know, like up on that, you know, they were Emmy, mm. Emmy nominated too, like just such, mm. t- talented performers finally getting to 
be given actual lines as mm. native characters on a comedy show. Yeah. I really don't think I can, I think I could count on my hand the amount of times that has happened. And yeah. my current memory is one mm. and we're talking comedy here, um, which is a shame. Mm. But then the season two storyline, I started having some issues with because that's when we felt let, it felt less like a commentary and more like we became the butt of the joke, especially mm. when Jane Krakowski's character had, um, had visions in the back of a car. I just couldn't even get through that episode. It was kind of um, disrespectful, I think, to a, a cause that shouldn't be disrespected. So it, it, it's contingent upon the episodes and the writer, and I have mixed feelings. Yeah. That's my answer. Do you feel like there's the expectation when you're in the writer's room of carrying the torch? Is there pressure on that level? Sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't. Um, it depends on the storyline. I've definitely, um, in various things I've worked on, um, been present for things that I felt uncomfortable with and like had to have conversations um, that are uncomfortable. And I completely understand when people aren't willing to have those conversations because depending on who your boss is, having that conversation might be a risk of not having a job the next year. I have been incredibly lucky that I've had bosses who I felt comfortable having those conversations with. But yeah, there have definitely been times where um, I was on a show where I wasn't the only black person and something uh, slipped through that I was uncomfortable with, but I wasn't. I was kind of new and I didn't feel okay stepping up. And then it went down the line and then somebody, the other person like looked at it and was like, oh no, this is, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that there were like two of us, that became my then my metric. Like if both of us found something Mm. offensive, then one of us would go say something about it. I definitely do feel like I have a responsibility to call things out. And then after I've called it out, if it's not changed, that's the point at which I go, no, nah, I'm just gonna like I tried, I did what I could. And I, actually, yeah. like, if you don't mind me harping on this, uh, speaking as women yeah. as well, that's very, a very similar yeah. sort of oh, situation. Like I remember I was in a room once, I was the only girl to ever walk through that writer's room in the months that I worked there. And I, I, I listened. I didn't talk. I, I just listened. And then when they asked me for a female's perspective, uh-huh. um, I would answer. And I, I, it was a totally different room. You know, speak when spoken to, listen, emulate the showrunner's voice, don't step on toes. Yeah. But then some of them don't want that. Some of them want more interactive writers, people with those heavier philosophies. And I just think it's a, I agree. It's dependent on who your boss is and yeah. what and what they want from you. Yeah, I had a great boss who um, was very like cognizant that he had a very specific perspective and wanted more voices in the room. And there was definitely a day where he had something that a female character did. And then the women in the room were like, is that a thing that would any of it like, <laughs> am I just speaking from my perspective or do the rest of you also mm, feel like this is yeah. weird? And everyone felt like it was weird. And then we like one of the uh, higher levels like talked to him about it. And he was like, okay, you're right. And it changed. I mean, this might be a very broad or nuanced question to answer, but what do you think like the line is or the guidelines in terms of an attempt at inclusion and representation and then kind of straying into cultural appropriation and and stereotyping and that sort of thing? It's a question of respect, I think. And it's also a question of, are you speaking for someone or are you letting someone speak for themselves? Like, are you doing this thing because you think it's 
just kind of a cool edgy throwaway or are you doing something because you think it's authentic to the character and i think that's also not a question of like cultural appropriation or being correct or whatnot it's a question of being a good writer is looking at who your characters are and would these words authentically come out of that person's mouth Mm -hmm. like it's you can't always have a character say something because that is a thing you want the character to say. You need it to be a thing the character would actually say because that's how your words come off as authentic and Mm -hmm. real and create an emotion within your audience. So like if you are doing your responsibility as a writer, everything else falls in line. And also if you're not being a raging jackhole who's like, (laughs) this is, this is my way. This is my story. And I think this is like really cool, you guys. And I'm going to tell it this way because that's the way I want, like, no, nobody, that guy always writes really, really mediocre crap that we make fun of later. That's very true. (laughs) I would just say that good writing hits upon a truth and it's not cultural appropriation. I mean, that's, it's tough because it happens a lot, all the time, everywhere. And it's constantly happening in this world that's ever-evolving where people want to explore new things and territories and wear different clothes and, and they just don't understand the, the levity of um, choosing those things. It is it again for as a comedian is it the butt of the joke or are you making commentary on it right. to me that's yeah. the point if you're if you're doing if you're if you're falling on those tropes you're a terrible comedian and you're not a funny person yeah. because you don't have any insight yeah. so th- that's my that's my two cents yeah that's also my response to anyone who falls back on the but it's a joke i always mm. have to respond but was it funny yeah <laughs> like did the joke work yeah because if the joke didn't work then you didn't do your job no and right. you need to go back and get better yeah reflect yeah <laughs> So, uh, in regards to uh, staffing with diversity, uh, there are obviously diversity programs, there are a number of fellowships and things like that. Um, What have your experience of those been and what are your kind of opinions and thoughts on those efforts? Um, I did not get my current job through any of the programs. Um, I, it's funny, I had like busted my butt hating all of the deadlines for the programs <laughs> and then I got my job through a completely separate sort of way. Um, I don't actually know if I'm a diversity hire for my current show. I might be, I might not be. Um, but I've heard stories of people who got the job and then couldn't stay on because the boss only wanted them because they were free and not because they wanted them. And I've heard stories of people who kind of made their way, like who got the job, crushed it, made a really, really good rapport with people and like continue to work. Mm. So I feel like the programs are step one and you really have to kind of, yeah, they, they will, they will get you in the door. And then it's a question of who is on the other side of the door and are they willing to welcome you in or are they shoving you back out? Yeah. How are they, how are they viewing it? That's yeah. the thing. Cause I've been a part of a couple of programs. I've been lucky enough to be in the Sundance I, I native writers program last year. And then this year I got to do the LA skins fest program, which was um, co-sponsored by HBO, NBC and CBS, which were all awesome experiences in their own right in different capacities. I personally really like them just because I got to meet more native writers. Yeah. Oh, it's like yeah. a super selfish thing, but when you get to like meet people from all different tribes who are all kind of accomplishing same but different things and all have different styles and perspectives, it's just so, you're reading stuff that you never would read elsewhere. You would never read this by anybody else. This is unique and fascinating and strange and mm. magical and mystical and funny and witty and everything in between because again, these people are unique. 
Um, and that's exactly what needs to happen more, I think, with these court sort of programs. They're not just tools for us. They should be tools for this industry. They should look at this as an opportunity and not look at diversity hires as a burden because they're the ones who are literally going to give you the juiciest characters, the most fantastical setups, yeah. the the dialogue that you didn't even know existed. So it's, I really enjoyed the program simply because it's always great to hone your craft and meet fellow people. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great tool to get yourself started. But unfortunately, I don't think they're used by, not by us. I think they're used by the people writing as much as possible. I think it's people on the other side who aren't using it as much. And I also, that hits on something that's incredibly important about, we talk about diversity as if it is like the right thing to do, as if it is some sort of like moral obligation. And I think that's completely true. But it's also the fact that it just makes for better stories. Around this table, there are four different people with four completely different backgrounds who would tackle the exact same project four completely different ways. And those are four voices who you want because you want to hear like all you want all of that. You want to take all of that and you want to put it together and you want to create something awesome. I feel like that it makes for better storytelling. To jump back to the the fellowship aspect, what are your thoughts on you brought up the the turnover of diversity hires? A few months ago there was a, a Hollywood reporter article about the subject of people from the different fellowships being hired on staff. And then a year later, they would be replaced by the newer crop of fellowship people. So how how do you think people should tackle that? Or like, how often do you see that happening? I think it's personally on the people running the show. <laughs> Hire yeah. me, please. No. <laughs> um, but I think that some of them want that. Some of them want these people in the room and, and some of them can't afford it. And these are people that they've been working with their whole lives and they trust these other writers more. I understand that. I understand the the reason why it's harder to bring in more diversity people. Um, I understand it's also a personality match. Like I get that sometimes people work and some some people don't. Um, But I would argue about like a lot of the times what we think is a personality match is just a matter of someone having the exact same background. Like I I remember having a, I have remember having a meeting and it going really, really well and talking to someone afterwards about it and being like, I think I crushed it unless someone who comes in who's way more like that that guy mm-hmm. than I am. Like if if I am what he like if it's just going off of personality and the way we connected, I'm good unless he comes with somebody who has the same background and then yeah. that's a rapport I can't break into. So I think a lot of times what we think we connect with yeah. Is just, it's not a matter of, well, he wasn't the right fit. It's a matter of, no, you want somebody who likes your same baseball team. Yeah. It's like, subconscious just, familiarity. It's yeah. subconscious comfort. Like the, the man, you know, if a guy who's showrunning has been hiring a lot of dudes, maybe it's just because when a dude walks in, he automatically feels like he's a bro back home and they yeah. can shoot the shit, have a beer, shoot ducks. What yeah. do guys do? What do white guys do? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I, can, I can't talk about sports ball. Yeah, I know nothing okay. about sports ball. I actually like <laughs> attribute a lot of like success that I've had to like, dude, Code switching is so important. Like yeah. my ability to coach switch, and I'm not saying I'm great at it, yeah. but the ability to like find that, like, what's your sports team? What's your, what is the thing that we can talk about that yeah. is going to make you think I am like you? Yeah. Like, that is such an important skill. Because I don't look like you, <laughs> yeah. but I think like you. Yeah. That's a really fascinating perspective. I haven't ever thought of it like that, that it's not so much necessarily that someone is consciously going, I want to hire white dudes. It's the fact that he comes in and they have all these things in common because of their backgrounds. And so they form that bond easier. Yeah. And to them, that seems like a better personality match, like you exactly. said. Like I think that's most of it, actually. Yeah. I don't think most of these people are kicking down doors like, white men, yeah. where you at? <laughs> Come at me. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the, like, it seems to me as well that there is this kind of like attitude amongst some executives and showrunners and things that the diversity hire is, uh, you know, like we said earlier, um, you know, or like a burden or something. Like I've heard, greener or something. Yeah. Or like, and that's the thing is like, they're not kind of like actually considering your skills as a writer quite as much. So it's almost like step 0.5 instead of step yeah. one, because you kind of like you're held to a higher standard than yeah. everyone, which is kind of ridiculous. Twice as good to get half as far. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you also, it's also the burden of like the uh, financial incentive of like getting this person because they're free. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about this idea of like as a diversity hire, you end up kind of in this vicious cycle of starting over and over again as a staff writer. I feel like if you have good representation, that should not happen. A good agent will not let you be a staff writer for three seasons. I'm just going to mm -hmm. generally put that out there. As much as it is on the industry to kind of not do shady shit like that, the industry is going to do shady shit like that. Um, and as much as it's on you to promote yourself and to like work your tail feathers off and be the type of person who they want to like, who they look at you and you're like, no, you are completely worth the story editors for the next season. It's also worth on your representation to be like, to look at the contract and be like, no, this is bull. Mm. This person has been a staff writer for two seasons. I'm not letting them do a third on this level. Yeah. Mm. And I think thankfully tides are slowly changing because I know that a lot more people are hunting for female writers as well as diversity hires, yeah. which means that hopefully those programs get those people in those programs. You know, a lot of these people who are in diversity programs, I can't speak for it as much, but I've heard that many of them, if they are only on a show for one season, they don't get representation. That's why they can't find that next gig, which really? is the reason yeah. why like people need to be snatched up more, you know, yeah. in terms of that. crazy to me. Yeah, like just some, it, it just happens sometimes. So, you know, it's, it, a lot of things are happening. There's a lot of loops and yeah. things. And it, it depends on if you're being sought out after. And honestly, it depends on if you're a good writer. Yeah. You have to be a, a damn good writer and you have to work your ass off yeah. 10 times harder than the other person just yeah. because of the way that you were born, yeah. which is mm -hmm. unfortunate, but the situation that we're in. Yeah. But no, people are always going to look at you and they're going to be like, oh, that's, that's why you got the job. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not fun. <laughs> You guys talk a, a little bit about the the guild aspect because um, I know you're on one of the committees or caucuses, uh, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a participant in the American Indian Writers Committee at the WGA. Oh. I I I can't really speak too much for the others, and again, I'm like a newer member, but our our committee, um, we admit, is quite small in comparison to the Hispanic committee and the Asian committee and all these other committees that they have. Um, the LGBT committee, like every, um, <laughs> every other committee is, uh, quite large. Ours is a little bit smaller. And that's, that's what we're trying to change. We're lucky enough that we have those assets and the WGA is great and they, we can do, uh, we can join up with other diversity committees and hosts and, and co-sponsor events. But again, I'm more of a newer member. So I'm mostly there to try to pull in all these other writers that I'm meeting in these diversity programs into the WGA and mm. trying to help get them underneath the guild and meet people and talk to these people in this room who are brilliant writers and brilliant creators and are at the level that we all hope to be at. But because there's so few of us, it's, it's just, and again, I have a whole concept and an idea about the difference between like people who are Mexican versus people who are native. And I really think that like mestizos and all mm -hmm. of us are more intertwined and connected than we currently see mm -hmm. ourselves. Oh, yeah, so I think there's more schisms and breaking up than needs than it necessarily needs to be. But I love, I love being a part of it. I love the people in it. I'm 
hoping and and I can feel it in the air that we're growing because of this new wave of native writers that are just brilliant writers. So, What kind of programs and events and stuff do they run? They don't really have any programs, but they just run a lot of internal uh, WGA events. They've run, they've co-sponsored alongside the recently the Asian American Writers Committee with, um, I forget, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like a day workshop when everyone like went in and did story breaking and got some really cool um, perspectives from actually Kay, K-O, who some of us know, oh, yeah. uh, was yeah. one of the speakers at that event. Event. And yeah, I mean, we we get our hands dirty where we can and co-sponsor. What what else do we do? Uh, we did a we did a really cool panel with um, agents and managers and then executives, mm. and we talked about diversity hiring, which was really cool and very interesting way to view it because it was in two sections: the agent manager and then the you know the executive. So it was a nice balance. Again, I'm not somebody I'm a much newer member, but the fact that I got to go to these and experience them it means that, that people are taking steps and strides in the right direction. And what is the eligibility to participate in these things? You don't need to be in WG member or yeah all of that's online okay. um it's great, great. all extensive in its own rights depending yeah. on what kind of caucus you want to join and things of that nature um but you do have to have some sort of formal credits great. and then you can build to the towards that and apply or you can be in a program it has to be a feature though um a feature program oh. and that's when you can technically be in that too interesting yeah. we'll find and include a link to all the different uh committees and caucuses as well. And I will say some committee and caucus events will allow you to bring plus one. Mm -hmm. So if you have a friend who's a WGA member, hit them up. Hit them up. Just gonna reiterate the previous point that like when when we talk about difficulties getting diversity and getting more inclusion in writers' rooms, by no means are we saying that everyone is a horrible like Confederate flag wearing KKK member. <laughs> it's Those just yeah, it, it's just a matter just that of that one guy Bill, <laughs> just, who's just, listening just, to this podcast right just now. Bill, just Bill <laughs> the guy. Yeah, but uh, no, what we're saying is that it's a decision you kind of have to make to move past your own bias and your own stuff and it's you want to have this is a job where you get locked in a room with people for like eight hours a day you want those people to be cool and you want those people to be your friends it's just a matter of taking a sort of broader view to who might be a cool person who you want to be locked in a room with for eight hours a day yeah very completely yeah so when you guys go out to staffing meetings with y'all meetings, how much of this influences how you sell yourself or brand yourself as your writer? So I've got one super black pilot. Like mm-hmm. it is almost everyone in that pilot is black. Um, and so if you read that, you're gonna kind of gotta know what I look like before you've set the meeting. And that's why you want to set probably a part of why you want to set the meeting with me. Um, and then I've got another pilot that's kind of completely duper, super duper whitewashed. And unless my agent has told you, Hey, you're looking for diversity, you're looking for a black staff writer here this person is like you might have that moment of surprise when you walk into a room especially given that my name is francesca butler fun fact mm-hmm. i was listed as white on my high school transcripts for two years because wow. they saw that name in my grades <laughs> and i couldn't possibly wow. be black so honestly it's a matter of like you see me you kind of know what you're getting like mm-hmm. i'm not i am not passable in any way shape or form i am black from a distance <laughs> so like that's there and i you know talk about my background my high school my schooling all of that stuff mm-hmm. and if that's 
what you're into, that's what you're into. Um, and if that's not what you're into, well, you probably decided that the second I walked in the door. So yeah, for me, it's a bit different because I am, I do appear white. Yeah. So unless I scream at someone, I'm Native American, like they won't know. Um, and I do it in that exact way. <laughs> um, it's a part of who I am. It doesn't define every element of me and everything I've experienced. It's, it's something you grow up with. It's mm-hmm. just like who you are. So I own it and I, and I love it and I incorporate it into my story when it makes sense and it's there and it's present. However, when I go into a room, it's about me, which is a little selfish, but it has to be, you have to sell yourself, not as a concept or as a philosophy. You have to sell yourself as a person. You're a business. You're your own entity. And, and really what I want to walk in with is like, I'm fun. I'm whimsical. I'm wacky. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to make your day brighter. I'm going to make your job easier. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to think less and work less hard. And (laughs) you're going to be able to have more pina coladas. I hate pina coladas. You can have mine. You know, like, like that sort of attitude. And, and that's what people want. People just want, I think, honesty and friendship and, you know, we just need more love in the world, man. Like it's, it's kind of, um, an embodiment of that. And that's what I sell. I sell something exciting and, and, that's what I care about. Like, do I excite you? Mm-hmm. Good. Because if I excite you enough, then we'll rally. And then one day we'll be able to get more things done. In the meantime, we earn our stripes. What are your kind of like thoughts and hopes for the future in terms of, uh, you know, a better world for <laughs> representation and media and things like that? I want every single show <laughs> to be just full of natives. No, um, uh, <laughs> Just give us more opportunities, I guess. Just it, it, there's stories to be told. There's things to be had, and we're missing opportunities. You know, honestly, you guys ka-ching, ka-ching to make money. Huh? You know, capitalism. So it's it's there's a benefit. There's a benefit to both sides. And and the more that we're correctly represented, the more that natives are actually not being. You know, people aren't red facing, and we can get actual natives into roles that they need to be in. The better. That those kids on the res who want to see themselves represented, want to see their friends on that, can get inspired enough to feel like they can pick up a nearby camera and make some change and tell their version of a story. That's the biggest thing is that those kids, you know, thank God for technology and the way that it's expanding because it's giving so many underprivileged kids in really desolate communities the opportunity to tell their story. But now you got to listen. you got to start listening. And there's less excuses now. So I hope as we move forward, there are less and less excuses and we all feel feel the weight of not just the responsibility of representation, but the responsibility of humanity and and telling stories that actually mean something to somebody. That's my two cents. I have to Brilliant. follow that. <laughs> oh my soapbox, I do declare. We're handing you your Emmy right now. Thank that you. was yeah. like brilliant. Yeah. It's invisible, but I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, from my point of view, uh, basically this entire episode has been laced with subliminal messages about the Negro takeover of the United States. So <laughs> there's that. Um, (laughs) but no um kelly and i have talked a lot about black and native and female representation because those are kind of the biggest obvious surface things where we're standing but it's not just about like us and the stories that we're telling and it's not just about telling stories from our point of view as far as i'm concerned it's about latino storytelling it's about asian storytelling it's about queer storytelling it's about opening your eyes realizing that we live in a crazy we're awesome world where there are so many people and so many different perspectives and so many points of view and rather than just telling one story 
rather than just kind of going back to the same old well over and over and over and over again, kind of looking around and not just from a writing point of view, but from like a distribution point of view, from a producing point of view, being like, okay, I just did this. Now I'm going to set this story aside and tell this story. And I'm going to set this story aside and tell this story and kind of tell a full 360. Whereas previously, I think we've been telling like maybe what five to seven degrees of Mm. the possible stories that are out in this world. Yeah. Yeah, The burden that we carry on our shoulders as diversity, quote unquote, should be felt on the burden of every single person in the world to tell a story about humanity and the world in itself. And not, this isn't just a matter of us being diverse or anybody being diverse. It's a matter of incorporation and making and making the world literally unite underneath a, a good a good character or an emotional subplot. Yeah, if anything, the burden should be more on the like the status quo white people to be ensuring diversity rather than making you guys do it for us. Yeah, <laughs> guys, guys, get on that. <laughs> let's uh, let's stop remaking the same like five sitcoms full of white people from the eighties. Yeah, um, but, uh, but I am excited about Pete's Dragon. So sometimes <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of like, what are some shows or episodes or television? recently or of uh, any time period, especially the 1800s. I'm sure there were a lot of TV (laughs) back then um, that you feel are interesting. So my most exciting thing that happened to me in the last month was my roommate got me a t-shirt from a with a Hillman College logo on it. And for those of you who were huge fans of 80s sitcoms, that is the college that they went to in a different world. (laughs) Um, Which is one of, I think, the greatest black sitcoms of all time. (laughs) Oh, just just putting that out there. Just putting that out there. Nice. I mean, I uh, make a generic statement, just like more musicals. I think that every single show, yeah, I'm challenging you. If you work on that show or that show and there's no musical <laughs> musical element to it, insert a musical <laughs> element. A good show can do a musical. Take a look at Josh Whedon's Buffy. You know? uh, take a look at the Flash crossover episode <laughs> yeah. with Supergirl coming this fall. I'm very excited <laughs> about Isn't that. Whedon directing that? <laughs> yeah, I, don't I don't even know, man. I'm excited. I hope so. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's my thing. Because like the more whimsical and wacky and fun the world is, the better, better yeah. it is to me. I think in terms of, I just said it wasn't all about black people. Now I'm going to make it all about black people again. Um, but there's a lot of interesting, I said earlier that there is many ways to be black as there are black people in this country and on this planet. And I think there's a wider range of storytelling beginning to showcase that. Like we no longer have to be one thing. We can be all things. Like you've got Atlanta, you've got a shoot. What is, is a race new show that's coming up that I can't think of the title of right now. In- insecure. Insecure. That's thank you. it. Yeah. That's it. Um, and being Mary, being Mary Jane on BET. Oh which- yeah. Speaking of which. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I keep talking. I was excited about that show, too. (laughs) Yeah, no, you've got all of these interesting things and just being able to show sort of like the full realm of experiences where we're getting to the point where it doesn't just have to be a black show. Like, Mm -hmm. we can get a black sideways, which is what I want. Have you seen uh, Greenleaf on the Oprah Winfrey Network? I haven't. haven't. It's on my list because Merle Dandridge, the lead, um, is amazing. I love Parnell. Marcano, uh-huh. one of my former uh, stars on Monte Cristo's in Greenleaf. I love you. What? Yeah. It's a really good show. I definitely yeah. recommend it. Yeah. For me, I, I was just actually, I'm trying to, I don't have good reception here, but um, my buddy <laughs> Elizabeth Francis is in a show coming out that uh, she's a native buddy of mine. Check it out. It's on AMC. I don't remember the title of it. I'm trying to think of what else I'm excited for. I'm excited for a lot of stuff. Uh, there's another, the creator, I forget her name of Ask a Sleeve is actually also part native. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I know she's a writer on Kimmy Schmidt, but I, 
overheard that she might have some things in the works too. So I'm excited mm. about what else she's mm-hmm. going to create. Um, and she's a hybrid of us. So hey, it's pretty cool. I think Elizabeth um, shows the sun on AMC with P- uh, P.S. Brosnan is the other guy. That is it. Yeah. So check out the sun. I'm excited about those. I'm honestly just excited to see some of the shows that some of my friends have written from these <laughs> programs hopefully yeah. get made because they're really good. It's so. awesome. Uh, where can people follow you online? I am on Twitter at Frankie the Bee. There is no Ian Frankie because I spell my <laughs> weird way because I'm a rebel guy still. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I prefer you follow me offline if you see me on Hollywood Boulevard. Just start to find me. Um, but if you have to do online, it's Kaylin Rock, K-A-H-L-A-N-R-O-C-K, because my name is Kelly Lynn, and I rock. Can, can we, if we follow you on Holly Bo- Hollywood Boulevard, can we do it with, like, fans? Like, those great big, like, fan you as you go by? No, no. I want 76 trombones. I want Music Man. I want you guys to all be playing an instrument as I walk down Hollywood Boulevard. Bum, do bum, 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 do bum, 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 you think bum, I want to set this up? I will. <laughs> cool. Well, that was probably my favorite episode we've done. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Are you just saying that? Are yeah. you just trying no, to No, that was really like, awesome. It was, like, okay. incredible. Thank you. Um, so, and thank you to our listeners for uh, tuning in um, and taking that time. If you'd like to leave us a review, you can do that on paperteam.co slash iTunes. That's dot co. Uh, and any reviews and ratings that you leave for us will help us get new listeners and we can do more fun and exciting, awesome things. Uh, I'm on Twitter at TV calling and I'm at underscore NJ Watson. I am at Frankie the B at Kelly. Keelan Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Any feedback, thoughts, and opinions, you can send those to ask at paperteam.co. That's A-S-K. I know I'm saying it with a weird Australian accent. Uh, and next week, we have an episode all about structure and act breaks and how that will influence uh, your story. Yeah, three acts is very different than seven acts. Or 23 acts, as we mentioned uh, in the other episode. acts. Oh, my God. How about you guys? Do you, love, uh, you prefer seven acts? Favorite number acts? of acts go. <laughs> Five I acts. prefer to work in like a 15.3 act structure (laughs) it's all about the decimals um, i'm into the negatives (laughs) (laughs) less than one act (laughs) you tell your show in the teaser (laughs) in the one scene (laughs) i write backwards (laughs) it's a a teaser and a tag and you're done all right thanks everyone see you next time goodbye